Welcome back to the re-education. Today's show is an extended monologue that are my thoughts on what looks to be the last chapter of Russiagate, the Dorham Report. I focus on former Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, who has been exposed for his deceptions by Dorham and others, and yet still enjoys a comfy perch from CNN. I want Americans to understand how the FBI makes these decisions on when to open cases and who to investigate. It's not because we do it because we like it or we think it's fun or we like don't like a person or are supporting one political direction or the other. It's because we have facts and information in our possession that gives rise to an articulable basis to believe that a threat to national security or a federal crime may have been committed. Well, let's talk about it. Did you order a counterintelligence investigation into the president? I did. Well, that was former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe on the Today Show on February 19th, 2019, assuring Americans the Bureau doesn't play favorites and doesn't hold grudges. Despite what the bad orange man said, the FBI follows the rules. And so when he opened a counterintelligence investigation into President Trump, he did it for good reasons. Sure, Dan. Well, I play this clip now because in part, at least, it is such an obvious load of manure what Andrew McCabe was just saying in light of what we now have learned from John Durham, the special counsel who last week released a devastating report on Crossfire Hurricane. That's the FBI's investigation into Donald Trump and Russia. But we didn't really need Durham to expose McCabe. When he gave these interviews as part of his book tour back in 2019, the special counsel that had inherited the FBI's investigation already concluded that it lacked any evidence that any American, let alone Donald Trump or anyone on his campaign, had actually conspired or colluded with Russia in its interference in the 2016 election. That report would be released in a few months. The inspector general was wrapping up an investigation that would expose the FBI's deceptions of the secret FISA court that grants surveillance warrants on U.S. citizens. Those deceptions, by the way, all occurred when Andrew McCabe was leading the team of FBI officers at headquarters that were involved in the Crossfire Hurricane. In short, over the next 10 months, Americans would learn that the FBI's probe of Trump's campaign failed to get the goods. And yet, here was McCabe making it seem like it was quite possible. The president, in February 2019, was a traitor, that he was a Russian agent. So here is Andrew McCabe again on 60 Minutes in this same book tour explaining what he did after President Trump fired his boss, FBI Director James Comey. I was very concerned that I was able to put the Russia case on absolutely solid ground in an indelible fashion that were I removed quickly or reassigned or fired, that the case could not be closed or uh, vanish in the night without a trace. I wanted to make sure that our case was on solid ground, and if somebody came in behind me and closed it and tried to walk away from it, they would not be able to do that without creating a record of why they'd made that decision. All right, so this incident, when McCabe takes over as the acting director, was in the first days of May 2017. We all remember what happened. Jim Comey was on the West Coast addressing Bureau employees. Trump dispatches an aide to cowardly and summarily fire him, although it ended up being one of the best decisions that Trump made at the time. He then bragged about it to Russia's foreign minister the next day, an ambassador in a meeting at the White House, which was disgusting. And then he told NBC News that he fired Comey because of the Russian investigation. Now, I should say, 
for almost everybody with eyes to see and ears to listen. All of these developments looked as if Trump must have something to hide. McCabe, however, having been the acting FBI director, he knew better. And we now have two exhaustive reports, not to mention lots of other material that's been declassified in the last few years, that walks us through exactly what the FBI knew and when they knew it. By the time Trump fired Comey in May of 2017, the FBI had bupkis. All right, before I go any further, I want to address the standard objections from the Russiagate dead-enders. And here is a representative of this objection from an author I really admire, Jonathan Rausch, and he's normally quite good. I would recommend reading him for almost about anything except for Russia collusion. And he has sadly, in my view, succumbed to this toxic group thing. But anyway, here the re-education. We like to hear all sides. So here is Jonathan Rausch on Glenn Lowry's show earlier this year, making what I would kind of consider to be, you know, what is left of the Russiagate case. Um, I think it's open and shut. Of course he colluded. He publicly asked the, the Russians to interfere in the election. Publicly. Twice. Russia, if conference. you're listening, if you're listening, Russia, if you're listening. <laughs> People forget this was at a press conference, not a rally. And a gobsmacked reporter said, are you serious? And he said, yeah, I'm serious. Why should I not be serious? And they did that the same day. His team met with Russians who came to him saying, we want to give you dirt on your opponent. He knew, his, his people, his son knew that they were agents of the Russian state. They took the meeting. What do you do if you're honest and you have Russians coming to you saying, we want to help you with the election? You call the FBI. All right, so let's take these in order. First, off the bat, I want to play now. This is what Donald Trump said on July 27th, 2016, in the Russians, if you're listening, comment. And if it is Russia, which is probably not, nobody knows who it is, but if it is Russia, it's really bad for a different reason, because it shows how little respect they have for our country when they would hack into a major party and get everything. But it would be interesting to see. I, I will tell you this. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. All right, I want to point out a few things here. When Trump said this, he was not briefed by the U.S. government on the Russian plot to interfere in the U.S. elections for 2016. And although it's true that he would later deny his own intel agency's assessments on this, and he was wrong to do that, at this point, the U.S. government had not attributed the tax to Russia. U.S. government did not formally attribute the attack to Russia until October 7th, 2016. Remember, he's making these remarks on July 27th, 2016. Second, here he was talking about emails that Hillary Clinton's technician had deleted after her archived emails were on a private server were subpoenaed by Congress. We've talked about this on the show before. This is the private email scandal, butter emails, all that stuff. That's what he was interested in. This was a scandal at the time. I mean, I don't want to call it a scandal, but, you know, nobody got in trouble for this, but there were these 33,000 or whatever deleted emails, and that's what Trump was talking about. Russia hacked Democratic in the 2016 campaign, but it had nothing to do with those deleted emails from her, you know, private server. This was, you know, current stuff. So I just want to say that these are kind of two different things, even though they're both emails. Third, and by the way, it's not okay, even if the Russians shouldn't find those deleted emails. I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying what the Russians did is okay, but it's they're different things and it's a point that's usually lost. Third, and this should go without saying, 
Trump is a bullshit artist. He says provocative things all the time. Does he literally mean that he's asking publicly for the Russians to do this? I mean, I don't know. I guess reasonable people could disagree. But in my view, and I don't think any reasonable person's view really, does it really resemble collusion? All right. So I want to just get that out of the way. Now let's talk about the Trump campaign's meeting in 2016 at Trump Tower with a Russian lawyer named Natalia Veselnitskaya. This meeting was arranged by a British publicist in emails with Don Trump Jr., Donald Trump Jr., in which it was conveyed that Veselnitskaya had dirt on Hillary. And Don Jr. famously replied, if it's what you say it is, I love it. And to this day, this story is like waved furiously as evidence of collusion, even though Mueller and the FBI didn't find any of it. Okay, fine. All right, so a few points. Number one, Natalia Veselnitskaya, she did bring alleged dirt on Hillary to that meeting, but it was not developed by the Kremlin or the FSB or the GRU. It was developed by an American opposition research firm, Fusion GPS. That's the one that was formed by the two former Wall Street Journal reporters, Glenn Simpson and Peter Frisch. And if that name sounds familiar, it should because it's the same outfit that was contracted by Hillary Clinton's campaign to produce what became known as the Steele dossier, Veselnitskaya was a client of Fusion GPS who helped her campaign, and I should say something that was very useful to the Russian state, to repeal what is known as the Magnitsky Act. That's right. The contractor responsible for the Steele dossier was working for the Russians to lobby against human rights sanctions against Russia. Regardless, the Trump campaign ended the meeting almost as soon as it started. It didn't even last a half an hour. Nothing came of it. So my point here is simple, okay? I want to say something clear. If you're going to ding the Trump campaign for taking a meeting with a Russian lawyer, then what do you have to say about the Clinton campaign that hired a contractor working for the same lawyer that was lobbying on behalf of Russia on the Magnitsky Act sanctions? Okay, you can't have it both ways. You can't say this is a huge scandal, it's evidence of collusion, and then have nothing to say about all of these connections to Clinton. And I'm not saying it because I, I think that Veselnitskaya was sent there by Fusion GPS on behalf of the Clintons. There's no evidence of that. It's been investigated. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is you cannot have two standards on this. Okay. By the way, Veselnitskaya wasn't the only Russian that Fusion GPS, and for that matter, former British spy Christopher Steele were working for. They also had a contract with lawyers for Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska. Ah, oh, and this brings us to Roush's third point, Paul Manafort. Okay, so Oleg Deripaska is a bad guy. He's the aluminum magnate. He probably has killed people. He's a very bad guy. Okay, Deripaska is accused of masterminding a political dirty tricks campaign all over the world on behalf of the Kremlin, and that's in the Senate Intelligence Committee's report which most of the Russiagate dead-enders, they prefer that report because it's, and in my view, sometimes has some sort of, you know, sloppy th things. We can get into it, but we're not going to because I, th I really do feel like Russiagate's probably over at this point. But anyway, former Trump campaign manager, Paul Manafort, really did once work very closely with Deripaska. Manafort, kind of a scumbag, rightfully, I believe, was indicted for and convicted of not paying his taxes and you know, various kinds of money laundering. So I just want to make it clear that stuff has nothing to do with collusion, but he's not a Boy Scout by any stretch. Anyway, by 2016, he had a falling out with Deripaska because he owed him a lot of money. And the Senate report says that the relationship with Deripaska, the fact that Manafort owed him money, and also Manafort's relationship with Konstantin Kalimnik, who was an aide to Deripaska at times, he's also a former deputy to Manafort, and is now considered, at least according to the Senate Intelligence Committee, as a Russian intelligence asset. That's also something now I saw recently in a Treasury Department circular announcing new sanctions. 
Kalimnik is not described, I should say, in the Mueller report as a Russian intelligence officer. And all of this is important because what we know is that, as Jonathan Rausch said, Manafort in, I guess, the beginning of August of 2016, he did authorize the sharing of some campaign data with Kalimnik. Some of it was called from the internet. Some of it, I guess, is internal information. And I guess now we also know that Kalimnik then, I guess, passed this information, if you think that's useful, I guess, to Russian intelligence. Okay. All I would say here is that Robert Mueller did look at this entire thing, and he did not conclude that there was evidence that connected this incident to Russia's interference strategy. So that's one point to make. The second point to make is that even, I mean, I like to use that phrase, the wilderness of mirrors from James Jesus Angleton and T.S. Eliot. But I just want to point out here that Manafort was fired in August of 2016, and there is zero evidence that Paul Manafort had influence in any way on the Trump White House with regards to foreign policy on Russia. In fact, you can go through the list, but there's a number of things that Trump did that were more hawkish than his predecessor, Barack Obama, or in some cases, even Joe Biden. There are also things that Trump did where he would talk about Russia in his, you know, typical kind of way that, you know, is sort of fact-free and he's riffing and so forth that ended up being pretty bad. I get into this in some of my commentary pieces. My point here is that even if it was the worst thing in the world with Paul Manafort, he was with the campaign, I guess, from April to August of 2016. He was the campaign manager for two of those months. And then he was fired. He was fired because the New York Times wrote a piece where his name showed up in a secret ledger where the deposed president of Ukraine was paying various people off, and Manafort apparently was one of them. Manafort's disputed that, not been charged, but the point is that there was bad press, he was fired, and Steve Bannon, I guess, sort of took over, along with Kellyanne Conway. All right. I appreciate, audience, that you've indulged my detour, but I did want to address what I see as sort of the remaining, you know, arguments from the Russia Gators. All right. Let's move on to what we now learn from John Durham and how it relates to Andrew McCabe's very deceptive book tour from 2019 and his sort of post-government persona. Okay, the first point is that the opening of Crossfire Hurricane was a joke. Andrew McCabe was pushing the FBI team from the get-go, but the entire senior management team had all unanimously agreed that they had to turn this into a full investigation after the FBI received a memo from Australian diplomats in London recounting a meeting with a Trump campaign volunteer, a real junior chipmunk named George Papadopoulos. Okay, now until last week, the assumption was that the memo had this actionable intelligence and that the FBI would be negligent to ignore it and they had to do something. None of the analysis, like, you know, until this Durham report dropped, got into all these steps that the FBI could have taken besides launching a full investigation which would give them authorities to use all kinds of invasive techniques, spying on Americans. But okay, now, just to give you a sense, the New York Times broke the story about Papadopoulos and the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. It was in 2018. The piece was headlined, Crossfire Hurricane, the secret origin of the Trump investigation. Okay, so they wrote that two FBI agents met with the Australian ambassador to London, Alexander Downer, quote, who had evidence that one of Donald J. Trump's advisors knew in advance about Russian election meddling, end of quote. Okay, thanks to Durham, we now know that he didn't. And here I want to quote from paragraph five. That was the one that was used in the original opening of Crossfire Hurricane. It's paragraph five from this original diplomatic cable from the Australian diplomats and Downer. 
and here it is. Okay, quote, Mr. Papadopoulos was unsurprisingly confident that Mr. Trump could win the election. He commented that the Clintons had, quote, a lot of baggage, end quote, and suggested the Trump team had plenty of material to use in its campaign. He also suggested the Trump team had received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist this process with the anonymous release of information during the campaign that would be damaging to Mrs. Clinton and President Obama. It was unclear whether he or the Russians were referring to material acquired publicly or through other means. It was also unclear how Mr. Trump's team reacted to the offer, end quote. I mean, come on. I just read this. This has been shrouded, by the way, until now, okay? So that's the information. Now, I don't mean to suggest it's not of interest to the FBI, but that's the basis for opening a full investigation into a major presidential candidate in the middle of an election? Are you serious? That's insane. Okay, even Peter Strzok, the FBI officer who is in the middle of almost every FBI scandal in the last few years, it seems, privately acknowledged all of this was thin, according to Durham. And so did the British counterparts for the FBI at the time who were briefed because these interviews after this took place in London. I want to just read here from a text chain that was included between an FBI legal attache in London and another supervisory special agent. Their names have been redacted. This is from the Durham Report, and I'm just going to quote. This is their back and forth at the time of the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. Here it goes. Dude, are we telling them, and they're talking now, the British Intelligence Service, everything we know, or is there more to this? Supervisory Special Agent 1, quote, that's all we have, Supervisor. that's all we have, not holding anything back. Damn, that's thin. I know. It sucks. Okay, that's the text exchange. The guys themselves, these, these are seasoned FBI people. They're looking at this. They're like, we just opened an investigation in the Trump campaign on this? Really? Okay. So Dorm asks, why the FBI didn't, I don't know, interview the Australian diplomats first before opening the full investigation? By the way, had they interviewed Ambassador Downer, they would have realized that he wasn't quite sure what the hell was going on and what he meant. Why not check with other U.S. intel agencies or the FBI's own experienced Russia analysts? to find out if there was any other information to support this theory that Trump had colluded with Russia. But McCabe did none of that. He just rushed six steps ahead to open the full investigation. Now, Dorham did do that. He wanted to check. Was there anything in what's known as your holdings, by the way? That just means that you have, have you collected information that would support this theory that Trump or people in his campaign were colluding with Russia? Well, no one in the U.S. government had any intelligence to suggest that anyone on the Trump campaign had colluded with Russia when Crossfire Hurricane was open. Well, that's kind of interesting, is it not? So Durham writes that the rush to open a full investigation into Trump, quote, reflected a noticeable departure from how it approached prior matters involving possible attempted foreign election interference plans aimed at the Clinton campaign, end of quote. Now, I want to anticipate another objection. And what, and we already dealt with part of this, which was the Trump, uh, Russia, if you're listening, I think I explained that, like, I don't think that that's the equivalent of him giving some green light to the Russians or whatever that's supposed to mean. But, you know, they did have information that the Russians were involved in sort of a hack and leak campaign by this point, the end of July 2016, the, the FBI did, and then that was true. Okay, but, like, there's a huge difference. Does everybody understand that there's a huge difference between Russia's meddling in the election and doing this kind of thing and, like, you know, just so happens that the bad guy, the, the bad orange man, Donald Trump, is working with the Russians. Those are two very different things. And if you don't have any information 
on the second thing, that's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? And this, this Australian cable is not that. All right. So there were three investigations into foreign governments attempting to influence Clinton on the assumption that she might be president. That's right. There were three separate investigations, and the FBI provided Clinton with defensive briefings on two of them. That's when the FBI says, hey, just so you know, country X is trying to give you money. You should be on the lookout for that. Okay, so they did that. Did Trump ever get a defensive briefing on the Papadopoulos meeting at the wine bar in London? No, of course not. Did he ever get any of this stuff about Flannery? No. In fact, what we know from Michael Horowitz, the inspector general for the Justice Department, is that the FBI used other briefings of the Trump campaign in order to assess Michael Flynn. Okay. So there were also, by the time the 2016 started, there were three investigations into the Clinton Foundation, which solicited money from foreign governments when Hillary was secretary of state by the beginning of 2016. We found out, by the way, this week in the New York Times that that investigation was formally closed by the Little Rock field office in 2021. So that's not in the Durham report, but nothing really came of that. And it's Andrew McCabe, by the way, whose wife is this Democratic official in Virginia who ran for office, that slow rolled the Clinton Foundation probes, instructing agents not to take any overt investigative steps without his sign-off. Eventually, U.S. attorneys in the Justice Department would also sort of say, we're not going to issue subpoenas, and it basically killed the probes. Okay, between the opening of Crossfire Hurricane at the end of July 2016 and the second week in September, the FBI not only got no corroboration for its theory of Trump campaign collusion, it received exculpatory evidence. For example, it sent undercover human sources to approach Trump figures like Papadopoulos or Carter Page and another Trump official. And they all told these informs, not knowing that they were working for the feds. They were just like, somebody's sent to have a conversation with you and they're secretly recording you. That's kind of what this is. That they had no information about this crazy theory and that they didn't have, that they didn't know about it, they wouldn't do it, yada, yada, yada. Okay, now I should say, that information, none of it went to the counterintelligence people, it didn't go to the Office of Intelligence of the Justice Department, it didn't go to the FISA court, they just, they got exculpatory evidence, they completely ignored it, and they didn't share it with the other components of the Justice Department and the FBI, so the team looking at all this just sort of said, oh, I guess, okay, well, let's just put that in like a, I don't know, like, they put that on a shelf somewhere. Okay, so nothing's turning up, but then... The FBI gets a hold of the infamous Steele dossier. I have done a lot on this before, so I'm not going to get into too much detail and waste a lot of time on it. But let's just say the dossier was, at best, misinformation or disinformation. Not only was it never corroborated, it was just like, it was nuts. It was, like, looking back at it, it's incredible how many people took this seriously. Now, just a few points on this. The FBI offered a million dollars to Christopher Steele. If he could corroborate the allegations, well, guess what? He didn't do that. The FBI also made that Steele's primary collector, or his primary subsource, to use this jargon of the feds, it's a Russian national who was based in Washington, D.C., who had worked for the Brookings Institution. His name was Igor Danchenko. They made him a confidential source. They put him on the payroll. Anyway, he walked away from many of the claims that were in this Steele dossier. So that's the first thing. We knew, we've known that since 2019. What Durham also discovered is that Danchenko was the target of a 2010 FBI counterintelligence investigation into whether he was a Russian agent. Now, here's something interesting. They never resolved that investigation. They had assumed that he went back to Russia, so they, they stopped doing anything on it. But he hadn't gone back to Russia. There was sort of a cock-up of some kind. So they never resolved it, and they, they still didn't resolve it after they put him on the payroll and he was playing this important role in Crossfire Hurricane. Isn't that interesting? 
Also interesting that Steele had a relationship with Oleg Deripaska, who doesn't show up in the dossier, but yet, you know, he knew, obviously, because he was working for Deripaska to recover the money from Paul Manafort. But that information managed to not be in it, as opposed to all this, you know, stuff that didn't that wasn't true. All right. In addition to all of this, the FBI never even considered that they might be being manipulated by Hillary Clinton's campaign, which had a strategy to pin the Russian interference campaign on Trump. I got into this in earlier episodes. There is this white paper involving alleged contacts between Trump organization servers and Russia's largest commercial bank, Alpha Bank. All hooey. FBI cyber experts took one look at it and said, this is junk. There's nothing to it. And then the response from headquarters, Andrew McCabe's shop, oh, well, then make it a counterintelligence investigation. All right. I mean, I'm just saying this is what was going on in the middle of this investigation. They would hit a brick wall on something. They would get exculpatory information. Didn't matter. They just sort of knew. They had to know that they knew it, that Trump was dirty. Okay, fine. All right. So U.S. government received intelligence from a trusted foreign source, is how Durham described it, that... Two Russian intelligence officers are discussing information that they have, that they know that Hillary Clinton has this strategy to pin Russian interference on Trump, to vilify him. It was important enough to the CIA director at the time, John Brennan, for him to brief the president. And yet the FBI had that information and they did, again, nothing with it. I want to now quote from John Durham. It is the office's assessment that the FBI discounted or willfully ignored material information that did not support the narrative of a collusive relationship between Trump and Russia. Similarly, the FBI Inspection Division report says that the investigators, quote, repeatedly ignored or explained away evidence contrary to the theory the Trump campaign had conspired with Russia. It appeared there was a pattern of assuming nefarious intent, end quote. An objective and honest assessment of these strands of information should have caused the FBI question not only the predication for Crossfire Hurricane, but also to reflect on whether the FBI was being manipulated for political or other purposes. Unfortunately, it did not. Well, I think that's kind of understated from Mr. Dorham, no? Anyway, all of this brings us back to Andrew McCabe, because it was Andrew McCabe who was really in charge for most of this, especially the part of the investigation after it was clear there was nothing there. So remember, it's May 2017, Comey's fired. Andrew McCabe then, you know, tells 60 minutes later, but at the time allegedly says, I gathered the team and I said, I want to take steps now to make sure that nobody can, you know, make our work disappear as if they had something, which by that time they didn't. All right. All of that. Now I want to say by the time that Trump fires Comey and this is prompting Andrew McCabe to launch a counterintelligence investigation into the elected president, which is kind of crazy in and of itself. But it's even crazier when you think that the FBI already knew that the Steele dossier was bogus, phony baloney. It knew that George Papadopoulos had nothing to do with this. It's, I think it's still ridiculous that he had to spend like 14 days in jail. It knew that the lead agent investigating Mike Flynn, who, by the way, Flynn would, of course, be fired as Trump's national security advisor three weeks into his tenure. Well, he had recommended closing that file, and it had the transcript of Flynn's conversations with the Russian ambassador during the transition. It realized that in those conversations, Mike Flynn was urging the Russians not to, you know, expel American spies from Russia. How that was somehow evidence that he was a Russian asset is beyond me. And yet, Andrew McCabe made it seem in his media representations, in his new role in the media coming out as a book author, that the FBI was sitting on a Watergate-level scandal. 
Hill. So what becomes of a former FBI deputy director with a track record of such deceit, of stoking a fake scandal that has further embittered and divided our republic, that has turned the Democratic Party into a McCarthyite group of paranoids? And I would recommend looking at the FBI whistleblower hearings from last week for evidence of that. Just look at Debbie Wasserman Schultz's questioning of some of these people. So where does a scoundrel like that land? The John Birch Society, maybe? Well, here it is. So let's talk about it with CNN senior law enforcement analyst Andy McCabe. He's a former deputy director of the FBI. And importantly, he oversaw what became known as a crossfire hurricane probe into Trump in 2016. And Andy, your name is in this report almost 60 times, 58 times. Good morning. Morning. In your words, you were, quote, deeply involved in the decision to open the investigation. John Durham uh, says that you shouldn't have launched it. What's your response? John Durham is wrong. That's right. Andrew McCabe, the G-man who cried collusion, is now a senior law enforcement analyst for CNN. Yes, the most trusted name in news. Here is someone who is already the target of a devastating report from the Justice Department's inspector general, who accused him of lying about his role in leaking before the 2016 election about the Justice Department's role in tamping down that Clinton Foundation investigation that we talked about, when he himself was doing exactly that. And he's now a journalist on CNN. No wonder most Americans don't trust the news media. And it's not just McCabe. You can find the whole cast of characters who are mercifully no longer at the FBI or the Justice Department appearing as analysts on MSNBC and CNN, trashing a nonpartisan report from a respected U.S. attorney, John Durham, that exposes their utter duplicity. James Comey in 2021 taught at Columbia's law school. This was after the Inspector General report exposed his FBI's abuse of the FISA process. It's bad enough that the former leaders of the FBI have tarnished the Bureau's reputation in their endless pursuit of Donald Trump. It's inexplicable, though, that universities and media companies would seek to share that shame by pretending they did nothing wrong. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcasts. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.